The Athletic. He is a player that I think would suit this kind of game to a T. I think if you've got Jack Grealish lining up against Dallow for 90 minutes on, on Sunday afternoon, you absolutely know that you are going to get the fullback rattled. You kind of hear whispers of, oh, Steve Cooper might be in trouble. And, and then I see, I see people being shocked by that on social media, like, surely not. Have they forgotten the last the last 10 years and, and what's happened at Forest? Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined as ever by George Ellock, Bet365, Steve Free and the Athletic's Tim Spears. The Premier League is back in a big way this weekend, kicking off with the North London derby on Saturday lunchtime, with the Manchester derby following that on Sunday. There's also a massive East Midlands derby thrown in for good measure on the Monday night football. But we're going to start with Arsenal against Tottenham, which is the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. And Tim, you're going to be in attendance, your first ever North London derby. You're covering Spurs for the Athletic now. Are you looking forward to it? Oh, I can't wait. It's, it's actually my first Derby full stop for 10 years. I was working out the other day because Wolves-West Brom uh, haven't played properly since 2012. And Wolves never played properly anyway, Tim, against the Albion, did they? Oh, I mean, Albion guys. are terrible. Let's be honest, See, Albion he, are terrible. But it's been, he, it's been a can, while, he, pal, isn't he it? Can, Come on. He can, do, he can do this because he knows I've got nothing. It's, it's, very, <laughs> it's very one way. Anyway, yeah, Arsenal Spurs. Apart from no, the place in the Premier League, that's, that's what you have got. So. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah the most important thing. My saviour. Yeah, no, it's it, they always say, don't they, the, the, the biggest derby since whenever. But it, it does feel like a big one. I know it's early in the season, but both teams near the top of the table. Lots of optimism from both sets of fans. Uh, it's going to be a massive atmosphere and, and a massive massive game. Hard, hard to call, really, as, as, as we're, we're about to find out ourselves, I, I suspect. Yeah, Steve, usually, you know, maybe one team comes comes into this game ahead one team comes in with a little bit of a mini crisis but this is a rare North London derby where they're both in good form managers are both performing well and both sets of fans seem very happy which is unusual going into this tie I mean this could actually be one of the biggest and best in recent memory yes and as a neutral Dan it's a game that I'm very Mm. much looking forward to I think if if Spurs win and they and they go top I think it's the first time that a team has overtaken another team at the top like two North London sides like Arsenal and Spurs so that'll be quite interesting as well that that has never happened before I think from a neutral Arsenal are, are playing the better football Spurs aren't fans aren't that bothered the fact that they're not tactically it's going to be a super battle as well and like I say it, it's one that I'm Massively looking forward to. We do actually have a, a points market down on, on Arsenal because I think some people, and wrong, quite wrongly in my opinion, have pointed towards Arsenal's fixtures being a lot easier than everybody else's. I probably have them down as sixth or seventh on the easiest fixtures list. I think Spurs' fixtures have been a lot easier than Arsenal's personally. But we do have a market on how many points they will get in their next two games. And I'll be interested in, in, in your guys' thoughts and, and your prediction yourself. So they play obviously Tottenham and Liverpool, both at home. So how many points will they get from the next two games? Obviously not one, two, three, four or six. Dan, I'll start with you. I'm going to go four. Okay. Tim? I, th- I think a couple. I, I, I could see a draw this weekend and, and, and a draw against Liverpool, which which would be pretty good for Arsenal. Big price, big outsider at 10 to 1. Georgie, come on, you're, you're Mr Shrewd. You'll have some. Three points, win one, lose one. Yeah, the favourite, uh, as I thought you'd go for, 9-4. to four. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, George, Arsenal have had a, a great start to the season. They've been very easy on the eye as well. But their first kind of real test, you would say, when they went to Manchester United, or first big test against one of the, one of the big six, they come a cropper. Tottenham and Liverpool next. This will be the measure of what kind of side Arsenal are this season, I, I suspect. Yeah, it will be. I mean, it's it's funny how there are 
very much two different ways of looking at that loss against Manchester United. You have a lot of Arsenal fans and neutrals who watched that and thought Arsenal were by far the better team and deserved to win the game. And then you've got others who saw that Arsenal dominated the ball, but actually conceded the better chances on the break. So you can look at it two ways. I think in terms of the potential and the options that that Tottenham have and the way they're going to look to play this, they are a better version of Manchester United. You know, they have players who are absolutely devastated on the break. You know, we saw Hume and Son last season be chopped joint top goal scorer in the league with so many goals playing behind playing off that off the, off the shoulder of the last man we know that in Antonio Conte we've got a manager who is very happy to set up his team to to concede the ball concede possession as we saw in the Chelsea game uh, too so yeah I, I think questions will certainly be asked of Arsenal I think no matter what happens in the early game on Saturday I think we will see Arsenal dominate the ball I think we'll see Arsenal play some brilliant football but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win the game because their inexperienced centre-back duo uh, their back line in general um, including the injuries that they've got as well you know we're yet to see whether or not uh, Zinchenko will be fit to play uh, Thomas Party looks like he's going to be out which is a massive loss it means that Lokonga will probably come back in so there are issues in terms of personnel with Arsenal going into this I mean I think that whilst Spurs fans and neutrals might be watching the game on, on Saturday seeing Arsenal's brilliant you know interplay and, and the way that they look to move the ball in the final third and we'll be impressed by that I don't think Conte will be too bothered I think his message to his team will be let them do that let's sit off and let's use our explosive pace because I, I think because of you know because of Son uh, Son's form both um, with his hat-trick off the bench against Leicester and then scoring a couple of goals in the international break I, I you know, it seems like he's likely to play. It'll be a case of, of looking to spring them where possible and, and probably look to try and catch Saliba um, uh, and, you know, the rest of the back line, White, in, in possession as well and try and break them down that way. So I think it's a really, you know, as Steve mentioned, a really interesting tactical battle. And um, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, they've had one big test so far, although I would say the 3-0 win at Brentford last time out was was also a a test that they, that they succeeded in pretty well. But in terms of pure style, this is, I think, going to be a very similar game to the one they lost 3-1 against uh, against the Manchester United side, who I don't think are, are as good as Spurs. And narrative always plays a big part in, in football team. And I guess the narrative of this game, much of it will depend on which front three Spurs go with. Richarlison, never been involved in a North London derby before. I would expect him to start. And it's fair to say there's probably as much chance of him scoring as there is of him getting a red card. Yeah, you're right. I actually would have expected Kulisevsky to have a decent chance of starting, just just given recent performances. But it seems uh, he's picked up a knock on the international break with Sweden. I'm going to Antonio Conte's presser later on Thursday afternoon to kind of find out what the latest is with that. But yeah, basically the front three probably does pick itself now if Kulisevsky isn't fit to start. But Richarlison sort of feels like a decent player to come in for a derby. Um, until the Leicester game, it, it was Son's place that, that was that was under threat. Of course, he was left out for that, came on and scored a hat-trick. It's really interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier about Spurs and how their fans will be, fans are obviously really happy with how the team's doing this season. That was one of the surprising things I found when I started covering the club just a few weeks ago, is that there's actually quite a lot of frustration in, in the way that they play particularly against teams who sort of set up to frustrate them that they sort of lack in the creativity to break teams down and they're much more comfortable playing on the counter-attack which is why I feel that their weaknesses this season aren't going to be so much of an issue in this game in particular because they can they can just sit deep um, they don't have to see a lot of the ball and they can look to hit, hit Arsenal on the break yeah I guess not I've heard the same about Spurs fans that they were desperate to sign a number ten, like Madison, for example, in the in the summer. George and I, I didn't really get it because I didn't see where where that kind of player fitted into their team at all. But I guess, like Tim says, games like this, Richarlison with his pace is ideal, and in those games where they're going to struggle to open teams up, maybe that they're the ones that Kulusevski plays. Yeah, maybe, but then I think we're ignoring that Harry Kane uh, when he's got the likes of Richarlison and. Uh... <laughs> 
and um, and Son uh, can turn provider very easily as well. You know, I think there are some frustrations sometimes that Kane doesn't look to to, to play as a, an out and out striker because he is so willing to drop in deep and look to play those balls over the top. And if you're looking to to expose a high line, if you're looking to get Richardson and Son running onto the ball uh, in space, then Kane has, has proven himself to be you know the perfect creator for that. And then you get the goals to come alongside it as well. So you know, I, I don't think, especially when. As I think we're going to see on Saturday, Tottenham are going to set up with a kind of a, a mid to low block. I don't think they necessarily need another uh, number 10 in there because I think in Kane, you've got a hybrid player who can do both roles. You know, when out of possession, he can drop in and be that link player. And when they do have the ball in advanced areas, he'll be the person in the box looking to get on the end of crosses and, and through balls. So, um, I mean, Kulisevsky is a is a magnificent option to have and he's proven himself to be that. But given the form of 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 all three really at the moment in terms of Richardson, Son and and, uh, and Kane. And, you know, I think Richardson, you know, he's playing so well. And the fact that he is at the moment the starting number nine for Brazil when Gabriel Jesus can't even get in the squad shows you the, the you know, the, the high esteem that he's held in for his national his national team. There is, there is a curveball to throw into the, t- the Spurs team selection and that towards the end of the Leicester game, I mean, they won 6-2 and a sort of a, a, a glance at that, you'd think they absolutely dominate the game. But at 3-2 up, it was actually Leicester, playing the better football. In fact, they did for the majority of the first 70 minutes. But what Conte did on 70 minutes was bring on Bissouma uh, and go 3-5-2. So it's Bissouma, Bentancourt and Hoiberg as the midfield three. And all of a sudden, they stopped Leicester overflowing them in midfield, mostly through Madison and Tielemans, got a hold of the ball, and then it was Kane in the 10 and Son playing off the last man, which is where he got his goals from, where they were springing Leicester on the counter-attack. G- given Conte's um, preference for 3-4-3, it'd be a massive surprise if he went from it from the start. However, it is it is a kind of another another string in their armoury, really, string in their bow as a different option. And I think I think it's one we'll see more of because it was very, very effective against Leicester. Yeah, certainly one that they could use to see the games out. Now, this game will have a big bearing on whether we see Ascent Totteringham's day in 2023. What's the odds for the match bets, Dave? Yeah, I thought they were going to... Do it last year, Arsenal, and, and and finish above them for the first time since 2016. That, of course, didn't happen. But Arsenal are in the box seat again. Dan, they are favourites at four to six to finish above Spurs. If they win on Saturday, I'd imagine that will be around a two to five shot. And it's Tottenham are eleven to ten to finish above them once again. It's amazing the supremacy that Arsenal had for so many years in this market, and Spurs are absolutely dominating as well. So. As we've all touched upon, you know, it's all finely poised and uh, an exciting game to look forward to. If you want a full tactical preview of the North London derby, you can head to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Here's a taste now with Michael Cox looking at the impact Gabriel Jesus has made for Arsenal so far this season. I think the first thing he did this season, in fact, pretty much the first event of the Premier League campaign, because it was the first game, was he just single-handedly pressed high up against Crystal Palace, won the ball, dribbled through the defence and set up uh, Gabriel Martinelli, who should have scored. And that's really set the tone for his performances. I've been really impressed with him in almost every aspect. Um, it's not like he's a new player to the Premier League. We we know him very well, but I can't think of many examples of a player who's moved club in the Premier League and looks so completely transformed. Um, everything he's done has been good. His link play has been good. His finishing has largely been good, which was a bit of a criticism of him. Um, and I've been so impressed with his first touch and the way he uses his body against defenders. I mean, he just looks so strong. I mean, again, I can't really remember thinking that of him that much at Manchester City. But uh, yeah, he has completely transformed Arsenal. I think uh, these days it's not just goals you want from your striker, but it's also kind of epitomising the way the whole team plays with the ball and without the ball. And he's just a much better fit than Lacazette or... In Ketia. That was Michael Cox on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. You can subscribe and download wherever you get your pods. Tim, score prediction or result prediction? It's one all down, sorry, but but it but it will be. 
one all, I think two two as well in the same kind of vein. George, yeah, I, I probably agree with it with a two two. If I was having a bet at the prices with the Spurs being outsiders purely because of the possible injury issues that that Arsenal are going to have, I'd probably back Spurs. But I think uh, a score draw sounds about right. And Steve, can I have no goals, no incidents, no corners, no shots? Just a really <laughs> boring game. Yeah, I mean, you might have that with the next game that we're going to talk about today because it's West Ham against Wolves, which is Saturday tea time. I mean, I'm maybe been a little bit unfair because it is a big game for both the managers, really, because they're not under huge pressure, but they could do with a convincing performance and a win, both of, both of those guys, really. George, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I mean, when you look at both teams so far this season, it's pretty hard to, to see anything but a, a fairly stale game between two sides lacking in confidence um, who really need a win. You know, between them, they've only uh, scored six goals so far this season. Uh, they've only won two games each and it's 17th versus 18th. So it's hard to see why this would necessarily be a, a classic. You know, for those who do look at kind of the, the data side of things. They are two of the, the most underperforming teams in terms of their expected goals for so far, according to, to Understat. Uh, you've got West Ham who have created expected goals figure of uh, seven point, well, basically seven. They've only scored three, so four goals uh, underperforming. And with Wolves, that figure is 6.84, so just under seven, so just under four goals uh, underperforming. So there are kind of two ways, I guess, you can look at this. Either this is two sides who aren't scoring any goals, who aren't playing particularly well, and this is destined to be another low-scoring game between two drab sides, or it's two, it's a game between two sides who've been quite unlucky in front of goal and have, haven't finished their chances, and eventually that will right itself, and we might be in for a surprisingly open affair. I think it's probably unlikely. I think the, I'm sure we're about to talk about it in a second, the Diego Costa angle to this is going to make it interesting no matter what the scoreline ends up. Um, injuries to it to all suggest that Costa's probably going to start this game um, and we have absolutely no idea uh, how fit he is, how good he still is and how ready he is for this, um, you know, what he could provide in a footballing outlook for this for this Wolves side. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a slave to the data. So in that sense, maybe it'll be a bit more exciting than it looks, but um, it's certainly a massive game for, for both sides and both managers. Yeah, Diego Costa is set to make his first start, Steve, while we're on that topic. Is there any markets for how many goals he's going to score for his time at Wolves? What I would say, I thought the Wolves social media team played an absolute blinder in, in, in unveiling Diego Costa. Um, unfortunately, looking at Atty's current form, he's actually had more cards than goals, than scoring goals since he left Chelsea. So it's not, it's, that's not a great one for him. Um, of course, he's getting old. What a player he's, he's will be. And it's pantomime season pretty soon. So I don't know if they need anything uh, in Wolverhampton, Tim, for, uh, for, a, for a pantomime villain. I'm sure Diego Costa will certainly be that. And uh, he's two to one to score 10 goals or more and, and 40 to one to score 15 or more. That's Premier League goals. So great career coming to the end of it. But I'm sure it will be an interesting viewing for uh, for the Bollywood faithful. Yeah, Tim, obviously you've moved away from covering Wolves now. You're almost a little bit disappointed that you won't be covering Diego Costa. I mean, I'm not actually sure how, how often he's going to be on the pitch, to be honest. You know, one, because of his fitness and two, yeah, because of his because of his cards record. I mean, you say set to start. I wouldn't be so sure about that. He'd been in training for a week before that Man City game and they didn't even put him on a nine-man bench. You know, that's how unfit he is. He's basically semi-retired when he joined Wolves. He hasn't kicked a football this year um, and he's, he's not like he's 21. So I'm not sure really. But then again, you know, even if he's on crutches, you'd probably have him in there, wouldn't you? Just to be a massive sort of distraction tactic. 
because Wolves playing with five foot five Daniel Pedenz as, as a false nine, it, it's it's just not working. And I, I, you know, there's a massive concern about where the goals are coming from. So it's it's more with Costa. It's not so much about goals. It's more a focal point. Someone with his back to goal. Someone to actually distract and be able to compete with centre halves, which Daniel Pedenz is just not going to do. The, the the overriding thing for Wolves is Raul Jimenez because you know they've they've gambled on him returning to the player that he was before his injury. It hasn't happened yet. Now he's he's had another couple of injury setbacks and it's a massive concern going forward. So um, it, it feels like a big game. Social media has turned against Bruno Large. There's there's lots of large out stuff everywhere, really. That hasn't been reflected in the stands yet. But then again, uh, it was the same with Nuno. You know, they, they, they were weeping in the stands for Nuno's last game when, when he'd already been announced that he was leaving. But social media had turned against him as well. So interesting to see how Wolves play it. If they lose this one, they're in a spot of bother. Yeah, they've got no Nathan Collins either, Tim, and Ruben Neves filled in there well, against City. What are yeah. they going to do? How well, this, are they going to shuffle the pack? This is a problem, you know, just before the deadline, you know, they've let Willy Bolly go to Nottingham Forest, who's, you know, a de- okay, suffered with injuries and he's, and he's dropped off a bit, but a, a decent centre-half at Premier League level. And they've also let Leander Dendonka go to Villa, who, who can play at centre-half and has done very well for Wolves in the past. So they've just let those players go without replacing them, which now that Nathan Collins is out for three games looks pretty stupid, to be honest, because... You know, the, 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 as you say, Ruben Neves filled in against Man City, albeit with 10 men. But the two options they've got are Yerson Mosquera, who came from Colombia, very promising but young centre-half, who I don't think has played in the Premier League yet. And Totti Gomez, who who came from, from Grasshoppers. on um, He'd been out on loan at Grasshoppers and did OK last season. But again, he's young, he's untested. Um, and to go into three big games without, you know, with one young, inexperienced centre half, oh, it's all of their own making. You know, just one player out, and that this is what they're down to already. So I know there's a lot of frustration amongst that among the Wolves fan base, and it could prove costly for Wolves in the next few weeks. Yeah, do you think they could goals. go to a three at the back with the three centre backs? And Johnny, well, no, you have the fullbacks talking inside. Yeah, and then, but but you know, they let Conor Godi go as well. So there's another centre half they let go for that specific reason that they were not going to play three at the back this season. They haven't they haven't trained in that formation since since last season. You know, it was exclusively four at the back in pre season. Cody's going. This is what we're changing to. So I'd be, I'd. I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised given they put so much faith and weight in this um, in this four at the back system. Yeah, and George onto West Ham. Roshan Thomas has been writing about Mark Noble, who is now West Ham's sporting director. From reading the piece, that he could be better suited for the role that, that many think. And actually, it's quite a common thing that that happens abroad. It's, it's been quite unusual in in the UK, but abroad, this is quite a common theme. Although I guess the fact that he's going straight from playing into that job is the is the difference there. Yeah, he starts in January. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. When I first saw. Um, the move announced my first thought was not a particularly positive one it seemed like a proper jobs for the boys appointment Mr West Ham you know retires in the summer has six months knocking about and then takes up in my opinion one of the most important roles a football club can have if they have them Um, it's not a ceremonial role it's not an ambassadorial role being a sporting director should be absolutely integral to the long-term strategy of a football club to the extent that in my opinion the manager should be carrying out the um the vision of the sporting director. So when the manager does inevitably move on, you have some kind of continuity there rather than chopping and changing um, styles throughout the um, next few seasons every time you sack a manager. That's probably not going to happen with Noble. But as you say, Rashane's piece definitely showed that Noble has some experience in this I guess already you know he's he's done a, a uh, you know a master's degree at, at you know Harvard Business School which suggests you know he's certainly got some of the the, the savvy needed uh, to know what the role entails and also that both for, for Slavon Bilic uh, and for David Moyes he's been a pretty key ally uh, in terms of some recruitment within the academy in, in terms of coaches uh, and also sounding out players um, getting getting opinions on players uh, he's been using that role too so yeah I mean I, 
I would assume that Noble's power, especially coming in above, supposedly above uh, his former manager and somebody's experience as David Moyes, I don't think this is going to be your normal sports directorship. But similarly, there's no better place to learn long term. And when Moyes does move on, I'd imagine that's the time when Noble will probably um, take on more of responsibility and will be pr- pretty important and integral into appointing a successor, whether that's in the next couple of weeks or, or in a couple of seasons. This is Ian Irving, host of Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic. After what's felt like an eternity without Premier League football, it's back with a bang for United this weekend with the Manchester derby taking top billing. Join myself, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week as we build up to what's probably the toughest test yet of United's newfound optimism under Eric Ten Hag. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to click follow and subscribe for access to all our episodes. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Our attention now turns to the Manchester derby as City welcome United to the Etihad and Ten Hag takes on Pep for the first time. George, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually had a decent record in these games. Do you think Ten Hag will mirror that counter-attacking approach here? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think he'll have to. Um, I think I'm right in saying that, that Solskjaer won 50% of his games against City, which when you consider it is, is an unbelievable record given um, where both teams were during his tenure. Um, I said at the time that even though Solskjaer obviously deserves some credit to that. It was just partly because United as a team were far better set up to play on the counter-attack. And when you play against Man City, you don't really have a choice as to how you're going to play because Pep is so good at getting his very technically gifted players to dominate the ball. Um, You have to make do. So even though I'm sure Ten Hag will would probably want his team to set up in a counter-attacking style against most teams who dominate the ball. I don't think he'll have much of a choice. But we've already seen against Arsenal that you know that was a game where they were very happy to um, to let Arsenal have the ball for, for long swathes of the game. Uh, and we saw the pace of, of Marcus Rashford causing the massive problems on the counter-attack. And, and I'm sure that will be the blueprint here as well. Um, Ten Hag is, is not a manager like Pep Guardiola or, or, or Jurgen Klopp who likes his team to, to constantly dominate possession and dominate the ball. And I think that probably plays into their hands here. With City, their fixtures though so far, you know, Steve mentioned the the, the ease of, of certain teams' fixtures when it came to Spurs and, and Arsenal. Well, City surely must rank as having one of the easiest fixture lists so far. I mean, this is their first game against a, a big six team. Their first game, their first real test against a side who, who have aspirations to finish in that top six. So by that measure, I would almost argue there's something of, a, of an unknown quantity, even if that unknown quantity is only about 5% because we know how good they've been in the past. But um, yeah, I think United will come into this probably thinking that stylistically this is the way that they want to play and it, and it kind of suits them even if the opposition is far stronger than them. 
against Dave. Jack Grealish answered his many critics with a goal after one minute against Wolves. Is Pep going to retain his trust in this game? Because to be fair... A lot of the big games, I think that's what Jack will be disappointed with. He has found himself on on the bench for those big games. Do you think he starts this one? I'm not sure, Dan. He's not 100% fit yet, is he? So I think that will be a that will be a concern. It was clearly you know good to see him scoring. I, I thought this season would be his season. You know, after last season, was it three goals and three assists after after his big move? I thought put him in the fantasy scene. But I think he's going to kick on, and then it's kind of become. You know, people criticising pundits and, and stuff. So it, it was pleasing for, him, for his point of view to see him score so early against Wolves. I'm not sure how fit he is. Pep's actually come out and, 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 and talked to him up quite a bit as well. So that, that has to be a huge positive for Jack. But I suppose you just got to knuckle down, concentrate on the football on the pitch and, and we'll see the best of him. Because having watched him for Villa, we know what a fantastic player he is. And, you know, I think he suits Pep's style of play as well. So hopefully we'll see a lot more... Um, a lot better in this season. There's a brilliant video um, that Tifo put out this week by uh, with John McKenzie explaining a little bit about Grealish at City and kind of myth-busting a little bit, you know, showing that he had the best expected assists per 90 last season in the whole of the Premier League, even though he only got three. Um, so he wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. And just talking about the, you know, the unselfish role that he's maybe playing. You know, at Villa, he was a player who dominated the ball, was always the outlet. Whereas at City, it's more his movement maybe that is enabling others to play well, which is, you know, I know a lot of people out there will call that nonsense and making excuses for a, for a player's poor performance but um but John makes a very good case for that being the case and I personally think you know having been at Wembley to see him play a pretty crucial role in the in the win against Germany having watched him play a starring role in, in a few wins for, for Villa over Blues as you did as well Dan uh namely when he got punched in the back of the neck and then scored the winner a, a few minutes later in what was one of the greatest derby performances I think I've ever seen in my life he is a player that I think would suit this kind of game to a T I think if you've got Jack Grealish lining up against Dallow um for 90 minutes on, on Sunday afternoon, you, abs- you absolutely know that you are going to get the, the fullback rattled. He is going to foul him in advanced positions consistently. Um, Jack is an absolute master of the dark arts and, and how to how to buy fouls in dangerous areas and how to basically just annoy and frustrate the opposition team. Remember that game against Atletico Madrid uh, for City last season as well, where they just couldn't handle his, um, you know, the way that he was able to run rings around them and, and, and the consistent fouls that came from that as well. So I hope he gets trusted with an opportunity to show what he can do in a game of this stature. But I've, I've got a feeling if history continues, he might find himself on the bench again. And Tim, this could be a big game personally for Erling Haaland. Reportedly, Manchester United snubbed him as a teenager. He was a boyhood Leeds fan. And obviously his dad has a history in this game as well. But it is Erling Haaland and potentially the only thing he cares about is scoring goals and all that stuff's irrelevant. I think so. I think from what we've seen of his mentality, even just in the Premier League in the last few weeks, I'm not sure that kind of thing will, will, will affect him. Yeah, Man United just one of many clubs who will be sort of ruin the fact that they that they haven't taken him in the past few years. Feels like a big game for City, just purely looking at their at their fixtures coming up. October is going to be, I feel like a make or break month for, for, for a lot of teams really, with a lot of European games coming in very, very quick succession. You know, all these games being crammed in before the World Cup. But as far as City go, you know, they've got a big game against Liverpool away coming up. But apart from that, before the World Cup, they've got Southampton at home, Brighton at home, Leicester away, Fulham at home and Brentford at home. Now, that is a pretty decent run. And if, 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 they, can, if they can beat United and escape from Anfield, you know, without losing, they've got a chance to be going into the World Cup, you know, pretty clear at the top. And the form they showed so far, you certainly would wouldn't bet against them doing that. Um, I mean, you know, we have we have seen a bit of their vulnerability so far, particularly that that Newcastle game yeah. and St Maximan. Dan, you'll have seen a bit of it against Villa as well. Palace um, as well. But yeah, this is um, 
this is this is feels like the kind of game where we'll where we'll sort of see what they're really made of. And Steve, you're old enough to remember the last time Manchester United played, the fourth of September, did have a little bit of momentum, didn't they? Before the little break that they've had enforced on them, is there a danger that they've they've lost that now? Yeah, possibly, Dan. I would say that four four wins on the bounce, momentum was there, and 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 they were the crowd really get behind it after that torrid start that they had, of course, against against Brighton and and Brentford putting wins on the board. A little blip, of course, in the Europa League with that defeat against Sociedad, but back on track with that 2-0 away win at, at, at Sheriff. So they were pretty dismal last time out against Manchester City at the Etihad back in March. Ralph Rangnick, remember him? Do you remember Ralph? Whatever happened to I him? Know. I think I he had a massive payoff well. and then just disappeared. He's, he's on the good beach, Good job if he? you can get it. Good job <laughs> if you can get it. So I think we're expecting a much better performance from, from Manchester United in this one. But I think, Dan, that I'd like to have carried on just a little bit more and uh, But as Tim's pointed out, there is still a little bit of a vulnerability about Manchester City giving up leads and conceding goals as well. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think they might have a bit of a squeak in this one. Yeah, and George, it feels like Ronaldo's going to have to come back in at some point, but it won't be this one because they'll want to play that counter-attacking style. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the only way he comes back in is if, if Rashford isn't fit, I think. Um, and if Rashford isn't fit, maybe even then Ten Hag will be desperate to have someone who can... Exactly. Uh, although Martial, I think, has got some some fitness stats um, as well. So it's a, it's a race against time. But yeah, I'd be very surprised. The, the only way I guess you could see him possibly playing Ronaldo is to try and keep it tight <laughs> and then bring on the pace for the last half an hour to try and nick the game. But it, it would seem very surprising to me if if the way that United are going to have to set up if they if they have Ronaldo who A, won't be able to, to get in behind and, and B, won't press the centre-backs the way that... Um that uh, Tenag will want. So yeah, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if he starts, but maybe knowing Ronaldo, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if he has a part to play in, in what happens on Sunday. I reckon it'll be 3-0 to uh, City. Ooh, big. I'm going to go 2-2 two, two again. I like a 2-2 two, two this weekend. I think Manchester United are capable of getting something, as Tim said about those vulnerabilities. I think Manchester United are capable of scoring a couple of goals against Manchester City. Tim? I'll go 2-1 two, City. 2-1 to City. And Steve, City are very shortly priced. What are you going for? Yeah, they will... Two to five in March to win the game, and, and City are, are one to three now. So, a bit shorter than that. I think City win, but we'll concede 2 1. Okay, then let's look now at the second game on that Sunday. It's Leeds v Villa, 4 30 kickoff. Tim Bamford probably will start. He played 45 minutes against Brentford last time out. How important is he to Leeds? Because I think people maybe overlook, you know, last season they struggled a little bit. Bamford wasn't there for the entirety of the season, really, and he was a huge part the year before of them having a successful season. I feel like I feel like he's their key player, to be honest. You know, I look at that Leeds team, not sure where the goals are going to be coming from. You know, Gellhart's a, a, a hugely talented player with a lot of potential, but if he, you know, but if he's leading the line this, this season, it's an awful lot to put on a young man's shoulders in terms of getting the goals that Leeds are going to need I, I do see them as being you know in a relegation battle I don't think they've got enough to push towards mid-table this season um, I know they've had a couple of good results that Chelsea game it did feel like Chelsea were sort of masters of their own downfall in that game obviously it was one of Tuchel's last games in charge and so yeah the, 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 the 5-2 defeat at Brentford would, would, would be massively alarming for me from a Leeds point of view from a Leeds point of view in stark contrast to how they ended last season by going and winning there to stay up so yeah big games coming up for Leeds uh, they've got Palace Arsenal and Leicester after this and Bamford's fitness is going to be key judging on what we've seen sort of the past 12-18 months with him it's asking a lot of him to be coming back in and starting every week as well but keeping him fit is going to be central I think to their hopes this season yeah he's just one point in their last three games since that 3-0 win against Chelsea Steve but that win against Chelsea because of the way it was it probably has masked things a little bit are they one of the favourites for relegation? Seventh favourites to be relegated at nine to two, which might surprise a few people. Tim touched on uh, 
Bamford returning there. I mean, Rodrigo has four goals this season, but speaking to Leeds fans that have watched every game so far, the Rodrigo's four goals hasn't played particularly well, I don't think. I think Bamford, just the way that he leads the line, he presses, he holds the ball, just brings so much more to Leeds United. I, I do understand that the Leeds fans have certainly warned to Jesse Marsh now. I think the the way his team set up, the structure to it all, the pressing, I think um, they're definitely... I know the Brentford game was very disappointing and, and they've had a month to stew on that heavy defeat. But I think the double pivot of Rocker Adams, I think that's going down particularly well as well. Sinistera as well. There's a, just a, a sprinkling of quality in that side as well. Liam Cooper coming back, I think, will will also be uh, particularly big for Leeds United. But as we're all talking about, it's, it's, it's massively about the return of Bamford and, uh, and his fitness because he's, he's, he's such a massive player for them. Yeah, I think the big thing for Leeds fans is I think they can see what Jesse Marsh wants his team to be. He's still relatively early days but you can stylistically see what he wants Leeds to be so that, that would offer me some encouragement if I was a Leeds fan now George Jacob Ramsey be loving life at the moment scored the winner last time out against Southampton then put in a great display for the under 21s against Germany in midweek I've called him Jude Bellingham Light previously which is meant as a compliment how good do you think he could be? <laughs> I think he could be very good couldn't he um, I almost think in, in a strange way you know the, the lack of form of some some big Villa players could be just what Ramsey needs you know he broke onto the scene so impressively last season um, and you mentioned on this podcast a few weeks ago that he's become one of if not the the first name on the team sheet now but this is his opportunity to really shine and he's doing that you know he's, he's someone who has so many different facets to his game he's a brilliant ball carrier he's a very very good passer he's tidy in possession uh, he can score goals and yeah I mean Bellingham is an interesting comparison I, I guess positionally um, at the moment they're playing in different roles but I don't see any reason why Ramsey shouldn't be a player who, who we'll see playing for the, for the senior side very soon because he, he seems to have every talent needed to, to go to the top and he's going to get regular minutes in the Premier League as well. I mean, how, how good do you think do you think he is compared to, you know, having seen, um, you've already talked, spoken about Jack, but having seen Grealish come through at, at Villa, how would you compare the, you know, the talents of the two? I think he's probably could stamp his authority on games a little bit more in central midfield at the moment, but it is early, early days in his career. I actually like him when he plays from the left as well. He did that against Manchester City. So he's got that versatility as well where he can play in the midfield through, but he can also play in the, in the front through. Like, like I've said, calling him Jude Bellingham light. I mean, Bellingham's a freak. That, that's meant as a compliment to Ramsey because, like you, I do think he can go on and, and play for England and, and look at England's midfield at the moment. It wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that he gets a, a call up at some point this season. I'm not saying for the World Cup, but at some maybe after the World Cup, he might be one of the names that, that comes in. But Villa have had problems in midfield really for the, la- the last couple of years, but Jacob Ramsey's not a problem at all. He's a lovely, lovely footballer. And Steve Greg Evans has done a piece on John McGinn's return to form for Scotland. Not been on the best of form to Villa, although I will caveat that by saying Villa just don't utilise what he's good at at all. We don't play to his strengths. He, he could do with a little bit of confidence, couldn't he? Looks like he's lacking a bit of confidence when he pulls on a Villa shirt. Has he been playing out of position down at Villa? Because my, he's playing my best fan who, who goes, you know, seems to get older, he's... He's, he's banged his head against the wall. He feels so sorry for John McGinn this season. Yeah, exactly the same as me. He play, he's, he's playing in the right position as a number eight, but the way Villa utilise him as a number eight, you're basically just covering off the fullback all the time. McGinn's box to box, hustle and bustle, getting himself involved in the game, popping up in the box. And the way Villa is set up just doesn't allow him to do that. When he's playing for Scotland, he's doing those things, hence why he's scoring goals on the international break. And I, I don't think he scored for 30 odd games, if Greg's pace is correct, which I'm, which I'm sure it is. You know, he hasn't scored for a long time for Villa now. Tim, is he a player that you like? Yeah, he is, and um, crucial to a much-needed sort of upturn in performances, I think, which is needed, Dan. You know, it, it doesn't feel like too long ago since that, that awful game against West Ham. And I think after that, we were talking about Gerald being under, you know, some serious pressure. Mm. Um, obviously, 
alleviated a little bit by that Man City draw. And I know one win against Southampton, a really important result, but by all accounts, I mean, I didn't watch it, but it was labelled one of the worst games in Premier League history. Well, it, um, <laughs> it was the worst 1-0 win I think I've ever been, I've ever been to. It was so, so bad. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm not... It kind of feels like one bad performance and, and result away from Gerald being under pressure again and Leeds and Forrest away are two games which are, which are sort of rife for that to happen really so it's another it's another big one for Villa if they, if they, if they go and get beat by a Leeds team which has you know recently been thrashed fighter at Brentford then the knives will start to come out for uh, for, for Gerrard again so it does feel like a big game but there's just there's just so many issues at, at Villa again we talked about the captaincy at the start of the season but giving it to McGinn who's not necessarily you know a guaranteed starter and is out of form it, 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 that kind of looks like not a great decision now either in, 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 in hindsight and even at the time we were questioning whether it was the right thing to do so Gerald Gerald been asked a lot of questions of his management style at, at every turn really let's look now at Leicester v Forest which is the Monday night football the East Midlands derby that will round off the weekend's football and he's a big one both sides desperate for a win Tim looks like Leicester and, and Rogers can't really afford to leave each other which is a, a kind of a strange situation at the moment Forest there's also murmurs about Steve Cooper as, as well. Now, both managers potentially could be next up to lose their jobs. Yeah, um, you, you kind of hear whispers of, oh, Steve Cooper might be in trouble. And, and then I see, I see people being shocked by that on social media, like, surely not. Like, do, 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 have they forgotten the last, the last 10 years and, and what's happened at Forest? You know, um, Nick Miller wrote, wrote an impassioned piece on The Athletic, like, please, please don't consider this. Um, right. He's right, of course he is, but but we have to talk about it, and it has to be a consideration. Just purely going on 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 history, um, that Forest tends to go through at least a manager a, a season. So, uh, yes, it's, it's almost an impossible ask for Steve Cooper to get twenty two new signings into a coherent winning football team. However, if they're losing games like they've lost to Fulham and Bournemouth, the last two home games, then there's genuine cause for concern that they're going to be relegated this season. It's as simple as that. Disastrous ways to lose to lose football matches, particularly the, the, the way the goals are conceded, the way that they're defending, the way that um, their confidence seems to be shot, you know, when, when they concede a goal. So, I mean, you could say the same for Leicester, really. It, 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 it feels like it's one of those early six-pointers between, between teams who just don't know how to win football matches at the moment but that makes hopefully certainly for maybe not an entertaining game but certainly an intriguing one and a very very important one yeah just to play devil's advocate rather than actually arguing that Cooper should be sacked I don't think he should he should be you know the fans were were taken on an unbelievable journey last season which I'll never forget and I'll thank Cooper for forever you know from going to the the relegation zone to being taken up at Wembley was one of the most incredible performances in in one season or not even in a whole season from a manager that we've seen but from from the owner's point of view getting to the Premier League as an owner of a championship club is, you know, it's the holy grail. It's what they all do it for. The financial rewards are absolutely massive. If it is a case, you know, and the, the quality of manager that you can attract once you're in the Premier League is obviously higher. Now, horses for courses, Cooper is a, is a manager who in the championship has proven himself at Swansea to be able to get teams dominating games of football at championship level, um, having players improve under his under his tutelage. But in terms of keeping a team up in the Premier League, he's never done it before. So if it's a straight choice, taking emotion out of it between, say, Sean Dyche and Steve Cooper from an owner's point of view where the only thing that matters here isn't the decency of of keeping a man who's done so well it's purely about staying in the Premier League and being able to build I can kind of understand why his hand would be forced now I 
I personally think that um, there isn't enough loyalty in football and I hope that Cooper is given much more of an opportunity, especially given the fact that the recruitment that we saw over the summer, I'm pretty sure wasn't his idea and a lot of the players identified, identified won't have been the players that he wanted, even though some of them would have been. So I hope he's given time to show what he can do. But in terms of, of outrage about the fact that he might be gone when the stakes are this high and maybe this is an intrinsic issue with football itself when the stakes are this high you've got to act in a manner especially with a club in forest who struggled for two decades to get back into the the top flight you've got to behave in a way and and take measures that you think are going to give you the best opportunity to stay in the in the in the premier league and maybe the time fairly soon will come where where that isn't keeping steve cooper as manager yeah steve probably questions about the player's stomach for the fight Leicester wise and Tillemans and Madison they're being linked with Newcastle the transfer rumour season seems to be back up on us even though even though the transfer window is only just shut is that a worry for you with Leicester you know I mean the, the players were visibly fighting on, on the pitch in, in the last couple of games you know it's, it's just not a good situation for anyone Leicester nobody can be happy there no there's worries all over the pitch from, from the goalkeeper clearly he was, he was had problems defensively even Snave he's he, he's struggling at the back for them Harvey Barnes is nowhere near the form on him you know Madison played well um, has played well in, in spells. He, he, he was he was good at Tottenham. You know, he's still he's got goals and assists. He's averaging over, over three shots a game as well. I think if you're a Leicester City fan and you're clinging on to it, they have been twenty to one for relegation. They're now third favourites at fifteen to eight, and both of these sides are four to one to uh, to be relegated uh, this season. So the pair of them to go down. We've talked about the fixture list quite a lot this week, and I think if you're a Leicester fan, you're clinging to the fact that they've had a bad run of fixtures. And you've got Forest, you've got Bournemouth, Palace, Leeds, Wolves coming up now in the next month. You're just hoping and hoping that you'll be able to put some sort of decent run together. However, the flip side of that, you get beaten by a rival such as Nottingham Forest. And then if they do get defeated, do we come now to a stage where Brendan Rodgers' position is untenable? Because you could just see that happening with, and with, and with the way it is, and they'll just be sleepwalking into relegation. So huge game to watch on Monday night. I think you, you ask about the, you know have, have the players got the stomach for the fight? I think just judging from what I saw a couple of weeks ago you'd question whether Rogers has as well really he, he, looked, he looked like a beaten man to me and it, it feels like a completely untenable situation where he knows the end should be nine it probably would be in, in normal circumstances but it's not and he's only got one new player to, to work with Wout Faze who's, who's pretty much their best player even in a 6-2 defeat at Tottenham which kind of tells you a lot about them right now and yeah Madison Tielemans you know, they obviously know that they, they're going to believe in the club sort of come what may literally or maybe come what January and it'd be interesting to see if um, if they can get a bit of money for those two whether that actually means they can sack the manager We've again it will be quite an unusual situation but to be five points adrift of, of safety already Wolves and West Ham above them if one of those teams win when they play each other and if Forest beat them, they're going to be completely cut adrift after eight matches. It's just, it's it's an absolute disaster. I bet Leicester fans can't believe what they what they're seeing so soon after winning an FA Cup and, and and trying to very close to getting in the Champions League. I think we're going to see a situation in December, possibly where you've got a manager not picking his two best players to ensure they don't get injured, so that they can move to another club, so he can get sacked. I mean, it's just like it's just an absolutely ridiculous position to be in. Okay, then lots more football besides those games to look forward to this weekend. So. Before we go, Steve, tell us about the Bet365 six-score challenge. Yeah, it's the free-to-play game, Dan, that provides football fans with an opportunity to win cash prizes if they're able to predict the scores from six pre-selected matches each week. If you get three right, it's a fiver. Four right, £50. Five correct, £1,000. And we have a boosted jackpot of a million pounds for all six correct based on a single winner. So between you three guys... 
I'm going to ask you to give me two score predictions from six Premier League games this weekend. Dan, I might as well start with you. Crystal Palace, Chelsea. I will go 1-0 to Chelsea. Fulham, Newcastle. 1-1. Tim, Liverpool against Brighton. uh, 4-1 Liverpool. Wolves, West Ham. 1-0 Wolves. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. Dan, Dan why are you laughing? What's so funny? <laughs> 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 you cost us the Man City, Man United. 3-0 City. And Leeds Villa. One all. This is reminding me that I've got previous in, in a similar game to this. When I was when I was eight years old, I was on Teletext and I saw a very similar game advertised and I called up and you had to you had to punch in the scores on the keypad on the on the old landline. And so I played it and I was, I was at my granny's house and my 95-year-old granny got a call a week later saying she'd won a grand. And then to, she told them that it was her eight-year-old grandson who'd done it. And then they had to tell her that I was underage, so therefore I couldn't collect the price. 18 plus gamble aware. <laughs> T's and C's apply. Good luck, fellas. Right, that's it for today's show. Mark Chapman is back on Monday with all the fallout from the weekend. Enjoy all the football and thanks ever so much for listening. The Athletic.